Alright, and welcome back to the cusp, the drop. I'm not really sure what this is, but it's me, Michael Saramella, and Stacey Galbraith breaking down everything that's happening in the world of competitive surfing right now. We just had a huge event at Sakurama. There is major CT implications for everything that's going on, Olympic qualification stuff, and yeah, let's just get straight into it. Car to car combat. We must love it, Mikey. This is... Uh... Great scenes and a reason why we do not do a visual podcast. Yeah, very true, among other reasons, including our faces, but that's okay. All we need to do is use our voices to speak about what's going on on the Challenger series and leading into the next 2023 CT season. Just had Sakurama finish up and Gabriel Medina won his first event back from injury, his first big event win in Brazil. And uh, yeah, he's definitely put a little spanner in the works of, of the CS rankings. I know Ramsey Bukayam, for one, is probably wishing that he didn't show up to that event. Wishing he didn't show up. Oh, yes. Uh, wishing Gabriel didn't show up. Sorry, I misinterpreted what you said there. I was just getting back to um, our heads being on camera. I couldn't I couldn't let you get away with that. I thought you actually did pretty well on uh, Stab Highway, Stab High. Van Stab High presented by Monster Energy at Lakey Peak, Mikey. Great job there. You mean just uh, screaming every single time somebody stood up and fell or landed in air and using the same tired refrain? Yeah, that I did awesome. Nah, don't let the comment section get the better of you, mate. We're surfers. We're not brain surgeons. It shouldn't doesn't surfing doesn't have a big vocabulary. I can barely even <laughs> say the word vocabulary. So don't yeah don't 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 stress on that. I mean, what else are you going to do when someone does something sick? You've only got a half a second to react. What are you going to fit into that? Um, I, I challenge you to try and fit something intellectual into that half a split second. Um, but while we're on that, quick plug for a huge smash up tonight. Ep three launch party on the Gold Coast Surfboard Empire Nobby's Beach. 5 p.m. Stab Premium members get an hour of free piss, I think Tom Bird said, so get down there. Ooh, there you go, and then you can catch episode three also on Stab Premium on YouTube or on the Stab Premium app, which we've recently launched and is definitely changing the viewing experience for any Stab Premium member. Joyrides are going to go to the moon, Mikey. <laughs> That's right, and uh, yeah, we'll chat a little bit more on Joyride coming soon as well, but for now, back to Sakurama. Stacy, where do you want to begin? I think you have to begin with Gabriel Medina, and this was his biggest win ever in Brazil, and that seems really kind of wild to say, um, but over the past, you know, better part of the last decade, it's been all the Philippe Toledo show, and I know this is only a Challenger Series event, but it's a CT location, and it was a stacked field. Yeah, I agree, and even like after he surfed that last wave and his response to the judges reading the score out was pretty cool as well. I do want to say... I believe he won a 6,000 when he was like 15 or 16, back when 6,000s were maybe the most valuable QS events. So maybe this is comparable in that sense. But if you want to compare it like 6,000 versus, you know, you get 10,000 points for one of these, I guess technically, yeah, this is the biggest one he's won. Yeah, for sure. And I think more just in the modern era, it's just been so dominated by Philippe and John in Brazil. They basically won five of the last six CTs there. And again, I know this wasn't a CT, but I think that any time like a big level contest like this comes to your home country, you, you know, he was due for one, so it was cool. But a controversial final, nonetheless. Um, great article on the site by Holden. Yeah, what do you think about that priority call? Mate, tripping on that. That was a... That's... um grounds for being upset, I think, if you're Ramsey. And I also think the whole heat was, you know, 
that was a flip a coin decision as well. And I don't think Ramsey could have done much more in that heat against Gabe. Man, that wave, it, it actually looks half surfable on camera. It'd have to be one of the worst waves on the planet. You think the timing with your turn in the lip is going to link the backwash and you've been there all week warming up and you, you still have like world tour talent bogging almost every wave. It is just such a gnarly wave to surf when it's like that. So I thought Ramsey did everything he could, um, and it still wasn't enough, which is a real bummer because uh, he wins that final. He's on the tour full stop. I still think he's done enough to get on. Fourth now going into Hawaii. He was a massive mover. Uh, Ramsey came from 14th into fourth. So he'd have to be feeling pretty confident, but still you know, a big win like that would have gone a long way to um, round out his year. Yeah, agreed. Um, but freaking 11 years on the QS full-time for this guy. I would agree. I'd say he's almost definitely going to make it. Like, if you just look at the big picture, you know, there were two surfers in this past event who went from inside the cut line to outside. It seems really unlikely that there would be six or seven uh, people in Haleiwa who get who get moved out. I think more realistically, you're looking at maybe those bottom three spots are kind of the ones up for grabs, maybe four if you're pushing it. So that'd be like Maxime Husino, Joel Chianka, Zeke Lau, and Dylan Moffat are sort of on the chopping block. But yeah, congrats to, to Ramsey. It seems as though he's probably locked in a spot. And I mean, 11 years of doing something and basically for all intents and purposes, failing each year, that's got to be like really, really hard on you mentally, especially when for someone like him, he knows how impactful he could be on the CT, you know, and he's surfing on this lower tier, lower quality waves, surfers who may be more attuned to those style of waves, but he knows that if he ever caught them in real surf, he'd smoke them all day long. So yeah, that's got to feel really good for him. hundred percent. And uh, when we had Snake on the podcast, he, he mentioned that Ramsey was the most pure surfer that he'd ever worked with. Just so determined on how he wanted to surf and, and was you know stubborn to the point of wanting to adapt to conditions. And I would say that's a massive downfall because you have to be adaptable on the QS. And it would seem that it's taken him 11 years to figure it out, but he's figured it out. You know, he was getting ninths at places like the US Open. He got a 17th at Manly. And I know they're not huge results, but they're the kind of results you need so that when you get a second or a first, you know, I know the waves weren't good here, so he's done well here again, but you need those mid-range results to prop up the big one and, and he's done it and I yeah like we both agree I think he's um done enough to get on the tour and man it's a it's a great start for him pipeline into sunset into Portugal all those waves just suit him down to the ground so yeah and man he yeah he's he's world class it's you can't state it enough all right so that was obviously the men's side on the women's side we had Alyssa Spencer take her first challenger series win she's won every freaking event on the regional QS tour in the US like seriously if you go look at her record over there it's astounding so to see her finally win on the CS that's got to be a huge deal for her she's jumped into sixth uh, place which is one spot below the cut line only five women move up to the CT and yeah do you think she is ready for the CT could she make a move at Haleiva 100% she got fifth at Haleiva last year and um, I think you know no better time to win an event for her. Uh, she mentioned in her Instagram post that this event was make or break, and it's it's the truth. She she was really, you know, 14th, I believe, going into this event. 
So, you know, for the women, that's a long way from even being inside the conversation. So anything less than a win wasn't really an option for her. So she basically needs to finish a, a heat or two ahead of Teresa Bonvalot now to, to secure her spot. And I definitely think she's ready. She's been close a couple of years and, and had all that regional success at home. But it's just would have been just eating away at her. Like the determination and, 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 and the effort that she's been putting in to, to get this has been been crazy and then she's obviously got a great squad there working with Matt Myers tip of the cap has to go to him he's got a, a host of surfers that he works with that have all had breakthrough results this year you know Nolan Raposa third on the Gold Coast Rio Wade doesn't need any more explaining but two massive wins for him and now Alyssa Spencer Matt said something really interesting to me at Manly at the start of the year which is just something I would have never said in front of a group of surfers that I was ever coaching but he just said, hey, we come into these events and we want one person on the podium. We don't care who it is. We're kind of all in together like a team. And I was just like, oh, man, surfing such an individual sport. I would never, ever play it like that. Um, but I would say that with, you know, eight events in the year, if you can have your moment and then stay consistent, it seems like that camaraderie is really working for them. Yeah, I mean, you know, you it just builds up the people around you and you see that and it probably gives you like, oh my God, they're doing it. I'm in that same group with them. Of course I can do it too. And yeah, it obviously appears to be working. So well done to Matt and team. Um, also on the women's side, huge news. Katie Simmers, despite not surfing in Brazil, was told that basically numerically she is guaranteed a lock to qualify again this year. And exclusive news on stabmag.com, She's going to take it. I was low-key hoping for, like, the double-year knockback. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, like, I mean, frick, she, she's had such a great year this year. So, in a sense, like, I could see, like, yeah, maybe she would want to do that again. But at the same time, too, like, I don't know. You can't put off the inevitable for that long, right? Like, she's so good. She's so ready. Oh, 100%. I think that she's uh, made the right decision, you know, 12 months ago, goes without saying. And she's 100% ready. You know, she, she will, she'll do as well as she wants to. She's just got that natural ability and uh, incredible talent. And, and if she can keep that role going onto the CT, then, you know, like I said, it's really up to her and uh, how hard she wants to commit to it. The one thing I like about the mid-year cut is you know pretty quickly where you stand, you know. So um, you're not going to spend a whole year getting battered on tour and beaten by better surfers. You're either going to be the one doing that or you'll be on the receiving end of it. So, yeah, I think it. I think it's pretty cool. And I think I, I still kind of stand by the point of I think it's really hard for the young women to come on with the first five events. I got proved wrong by that last year. There were so many rookies that did so well through Pipe and Sunset. Um, but only one rose to the occasion at the end, and that was obviously Gabriella Bryan in a field of, I think, five rookies. So, yeah, I still think it'll be, it's going to be another level up from the, um, the CES to the CT. But I think, you know, out of that pack that's there, you know, probably barring Macy Callahan, I think, I think Katie looks, would be the most comfortable, I'd say. Yeah, and so uh, Macy and Molly, along with Katie, have all pre-qualified. They don't even need to surf Haliva, technically. I'm sure they will because they want to retain their sort of spot atop the, the ranking so that they can get the best seed going into next year on the CT. But that means that there are only two spots left on the Women's Challenger Series. One of them is currently held by Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, who is actually in a pretty good position as well. She's like 
like 4,000 points ahead of the next girl, which is Teresa Bonvalo, and then Alyssa Spencer, as we mentioned. So really, it's looking like just that last spot is up for grabs. We've also got Bronte McCauley and Nikki Van Dyke sort of near that cut line. So they're looking for big results at Haleiwa as well. But yeah, not much room to move on the women's side. And the, the level of consistency that you need to be in that top five is crazy. Basically, nobody's holding anything less than like a quarter. Once the season ends, that, that'll be the case for sure. The one good thing for Alyssa Spencer in six is that her lowest result, I think, is like a 600 or something. So she's got a super low throwaway. So if her, her ability to improve is, is going to be really easy. Once she makes one heat, she'll be adding to her total all the way through the event. The crazy thing to think about is Teresa Bonvalo has had a first and a third and is still not anywhere near safe. Uh, it just goes to show how competitive um, you know, the women's tour really is. Yep, and then we look at the men's side and we know that Leo, Rio, and Ryan Callanan are all locked in. As we said before, technically those those seven next spots are up for grabs, but I'd go out on a limb and say Ramsey is safe, Ian Gentile is safe, Liam O'Brien is safe, and then after that it gets a little bit murkier. Um, so back to one of those people, Ian Gentile. He is a really interesting person to make the CT because at least this is my understanding recollection of him is he came on and he was sort of like a child prodigy type like he was in all those billabong movies as a kid and was very clearly like a star like destined for great things in surfing and then for at least from my perspective he sort of fell off the map for a few years and I don't even remember hearing from him he didn't really have a sponsor and uh yeah now he's gonna basically find his way onto the CT for the first time in his career it's almost um reminiscent a little bit for me of like a Hawaiian Pedersen Crisanto um, sort of similar, like really insanely good as a kid vibes. They were both on Billabong together and then they sort of disappeared for a while and then boom, they just pop up on the radar and they're on the CT. You were supposed to be on holiday, Mikey. You're not supposed to listen to Buck and I's podcast when you're on holiday, okay? Oh shit, did you guys talk? No, I didn't listen to it. If I had listened to it and you'd said that, I wouldn't have reiterated it. You said it way better than me, so I'm stoked you did that. I just said, Ian Gentile reminds me of Pedersen Crisanto and didn't label why. And I thought about it later and was like, oh, people are going to trip on that. I 100% agree with everything you've just said. Same team growing up. They won major events when they were super young. They were almost like the first of their kind of pack. Like for me, Pedersen came on even before I heard about Philippe and guys like that. And then Ian was the same coming out of Hawaii. Like he was doing trips with Andy and stuff as a Grom and he was unbelievable and and he still is now and I think that he's sort of he's a few years younger than Ramsey but similar kind of journey you know he's been at it for a while definitely had a few years off but was always kind of doing those regional events at home and stuff I think he might have been doing some study yeah so basically there's one event left in the CS season of course that's Haleiwa it'll start in late November and I think we'll probably dedicate a whole episode to breaking that down a little bit when we have a better view of the forecast and can yeah really get into the nitty-gritty but as we know next year 2023 is the year where they take the 10 men and the eight women from the championship tour and we sort of need to like keep bringing this up because it's so relevant to these CS rankings so for instance, on the men's side, you know, we have a few people from countries that are sort of like one-off countries when it comes to CT surfers. So we have Leo for Italy, we have Rio for Indonesia, now we have Ramsey for Morocco. So if you look at the tour next year, you have to assume that two spots are going to go to Americans, two of those 10 on the men's side. 
two spots are going to go to Brazilians, and two spots are going to go to Australians. That leaves four spots open for these sort of like less developed surfing nations where they, you know, they don't have like a really stronghold on the tour. So you can assume that one of those spots will go to Kanoa for Japan. One will probably go to Geordie for South Africa. And that leaves two spots open for maybe some of these people coming up through the CS. So that could be Leo again for Italy, Rio for Indonesia, Ramsey for Morocco. And then you also have uh, like a Matt McGillivray who actually outperformed Jordy on the tour last year. So had it been, uh, you know, based off 2022, Matt McGillivray would have had the first spot for South Africa. So, yeah, these are all big things that people are thinking about. Then on the women's side, you have Teresa Bonvalo, who is from Portugal. So if she were to qualify, she would be in a really, really good position to get an Olympic spot because there are eight women that make it. And, you know, again, only two Americans and two Australians can go. Tati would obviously take a spot for Brazil. But beyond that, there's not that much diversity on the tour as far as nations. No, you're spot on. Uh, one surfer who has um, shifted their flag over from Australia to Japan is uh, Conor O'Leary as well. So it's, you know, yeah, it definitely it adds another another layer of storytelling to, you know, a mid-season cut and a world title and, and, and all these things. So, yeah, I guess Elo will be stoked. Anything else from Brazil that really caught your eye, Stacey? Yeah, there was one thing that caught my eye, and um, I wondered if you would hear me out on it. I think throughout professional surfing, certainly since ever I've been paying attention to it, there's always been the ability to owe someone one, particularly in heats. And there was an interesting semi between Jiao Chianka and Gabriel Medina. I fully expected Gabriel to roll over for a fellow countryman, and he didn't. And now the reason I say this is because, and I think this year schedule is like almost sort of works against Jiao in this situation, but if I'm Gabriel and I'm looking at Jiao Chianka, if there's one guy on the world tour that could help me win a world title through, say, a certain opportunity to give one back, it would be Jouchy Anchor at Pipeline. And so I looked at that heat and I went, I wonder if he's thinking about that. I wonder if he would even do that. And obviously Noddy wiped the floor with him and, and that's another another story. But I could definitely think of heats, whether it be Coco and Carissa, Adriano and Italo, situations like this where someone needed the situation more than the other person and they've done their best to try and make that happen in in a kind of a disguised way huh and you think because in your mind you're saying you know after the the performances that Joel had last year and his heats against John you, you say that like uh, he would Gabriel could sort of use Joel as a shield on the CT to take out some bigger names or what not so much as a shield and again, this is where it kind of hurts Jiao because Pipeline's the first event of the year and there's nothing really on the line except an individual event win. But it was just a thought that crossed my mind. If Pipeline was the last event of the year and there was that scenario on the table and say it's more Gabriel drawing Jiao himself, just just a random thought, Mikey. I wanted to know what you thought of it. Ah, so he'd, he'd have it like a chip in his pocket. Like, hey, I helped you out. Now you can help me out. Hundred percent, and it's definitely happened the other way around. Um, you know, I'd have to think that Kelly Slade has bought Hedgie a few beers over the years for beating Andy in Brazil in two thousand and whatever year that was, two thousand and five, I think. 
Wow. You know, get where I'm going with this? Politics and surfing. Yeah, that's a that's deep. I wonder if Gabriel thinks like I feel like when he gets in his like competition mode, like you could clearly see how much this event meant to him, the way he reacted to winning. So I wonder if once he gets into that mode, there's any sort of conscious outside thought or it's just destroy, destroy, destroy. But there is, I mean, yeah, to your point, like humans are clever and I I could see how you could uh, be thinking that. Definitely something I would think of because Jao Chianka at Pipeline is seriously like, he looked like top three out there last uh, this year. Wow, that was this year. That feels like a lifetime ago. But you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't offer that option to every surfer that came a- across you in a heat draw. Almost none, really. Particularly if you Gabriel Medina. But yeah, just something to, something to think about, Mikey. When you've got your local board riders coming up next week, am I gonna let am I gonna let this bloke have this one? Well, also speaking of um, Joao Chianca, I think seeing him in this event, and also I guess how he performed in the CT event this year. It really makes sense to me. Like, I guess I was critical when he was coming on as a rookie about sort of his, like, flow and and style a little bit. And seeing him at Sakurama, it almost makes so much sense that he surfs like that because that's, like, him, like, his body matching the movements of that wave in a way, right? Like, he was the only one that seemed to look like he was actually getting this, like, weird spring where other surfers were having to, like, go over backwash and chop. He was, like, negotiating it in a way where it actually, like, leveraged speed for him. And yeah, I don't know. It just, it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. He came from there. 100%. He was the only one that looked like he could do a two turn combo without having any kind of wobble in between the two turns or any wobble in the turn. He had that beautiful, like, layback slash kind of underneath the lip into a, you know, vertical maneuver straight after that had no downtime or any apparent backwash. Everyone else is just riding the Bronco, hanging on for dear life. Yeah. So then as a result, he's had to learn how to smooth out his surfing in, you know, cleaner, more proper waves. Whereas like a Jack Robinson has had to dirty up his surfing to be able to even remotely look okay in waves as crappy as Sakurama. So it's just interesting. It's like, you know, it's the same as anything. We are basically where we come from and who we're closest to growing up. Like that's just sort of how it works. And our, and our surfing style is pretty naturally the same. Isn't that the coolest thing about surfing is that you're such a product of your environment? Yep, yep, yep. Um, So also, just full 180, 360 here. Uh, Do you agree that that priority should have changed in the final from Gabby to Ramsey when he gave that little paddle and kick? The thing with priority that I think weighs too heavily on the decision is whether or not the surfer, from a logical perspective, i.e. the priority tower, would have they caught the wave? The answer to that scenario is no. You could have been Michael Phelps. You wouldn't have caught that wave. Doesn't mean he shouldn't have lost priority. He 100% had a... I can't remember the rule book wording, but it's a something paddle. A good, honest paddle (laughs) at that wave. He, He tried his hardest, I believe, to gesture that he was going that wave so that Ramsey wouldn't. Gabriel was never going to catch the wave. He was actually so far from it, it wasn't even an issue, obviously, in the judge's mind. And I think that's the problem. He definitely tried to catch that wave, without a doubt. The kick is the the kicker, right? Like, if you're kicking, you want that wave. If you're just giving, like, a little soft one- or two-arm paddle, maybe not. But if if your feet are generating uh, turbulence, then you want that wave and you're trying for it. Yeah, I'm all for, like, two paddles, hand on the nose, have a look. Maybe even have one more one-arm, like, look, nah, all good. As long as there's no kick. As soon as you start kicking, it's... 
Yeah, I, I'm. Oh yeah. What What do you think? You obviously you give it away there with your kicking anecdote. I, I'm with you. It, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So that I mean that priority should have shifted. In which case, Gabby maybe wouldn't have gotten that seven that then led to his six five and the win. But anyway. Long term, I don't think it'll make a huge difference. Ramsey's still going to make the tour. Gabby gets his big win in Brazil, and we're on to Haliva. So, um, again, we'll we'll have another episode before that. And then, uh, yeah, just one more thing. We were talking about Katie Simmers earlier. Just want to let you know that her Ramble on Bali section with Ian Crane is now live on the Stab Premium app and on Stab Premium. So you can catch it there, and it's a great watch, and you'll get to see exactly why and how Katie got to where she is today and why she's going to be on tour and hopefully smashing some fools next year. Such a fantastic series. That's episode two. I think those two, and I'm looking forward to whatever else comes out of this series, they're going to go down as like vinyl records within surfing, I think. With how talented she is and the future and whatever she gets up to, like we'll look back in time and and, and watch these again and again and again. Like her... her at this level, just, you know, it could be Steph, it could be whoever. You know what I mean? She's just that good on a surfboard. It's so good to watch. The future is here. All right, Stacey, well, it's been great chatting, and, uh, yeah, we'll catch you soon. No, you won't catch me soon. We have one more thing to talk about, and that is I finally finished a joyride. <laughs> it was a confusing joyride, but we got there in the end. I started off on the JS0 Hi-Fi 2.0, Fantastic epoxy, absolutely loved it. Nearly had the bow on it. Took the 2012 world champ Parco for his first surf at South Stratty in about 15 years. I kid you not, he never goes there. And it was actually his idea, believe it or not. Got a few waves on the zeros. They felt good, getting a little bit skatey once the waves got overhead, as epoxies do. We flipped over to this 20 prototype thing that Joel had. I ended up with a bit of a conundrum. Oh shit. I think this should be the joyride. Took another couple of months to finish it. Finally done. Should be on the site by tomorrow, I'd imagine. So I hope everyone uh, enjoys it. Mikey, you've been giving me some um, swift feedback. But uh, yeah, that's um, it for the time being, I think. Stacy, thank you for finally completing your six-month project. I really appreciate it. It's really good for the brand. <laughs> and uh, yeah. <laughs> Apologies to all the brands, sponsors, and partners of the joyride. Um, but hey, we, we got there in the end and, um, you know, you've seen what Noah Dean can do in three months and this is what I can do in six months. All right. Thank you, Stacy. That's going to be it for this episode of, we're still not sure what we're calling this. We're very confused in this strange new podcast world. It's either the cusp or the drop or somewhere in between, but no matter what you want to call it, Buck and I will be back again this Friday with a normal episode of the drop, breaking down all the surf news from this week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, over and out.